היה שרה בת שמחה, that's what we started these classes for, בעזרת השם של הרפואה שלמה, ואת הנפש ורפואת הגוף, ואתה כדובר לבוא וכן ינצור ונאמר אמן. is again more Mishkan, because I know you didn't have enough of the Mishkan. So we're going to give you one more parasha. The truth of the matter is we're going to miss it. Once we finish with this Mishkan, you're going to have like withdrawal, because we really spent so much time uh, analyzing it. And that is not too many parashas in this parasha. So let's uh, let's try to get through as many as we can. Maybe we'll be able to uh, finish the parasha again. In the Pekodeha Mishkan, these are the... Uh, we'll call it the accounting of the Mishkan, which means now the, you know, anytime you have a fundraiser, so after you collect the money, so the administrators have to give an accounting. How much did you collect? We call that, let's say, uh, in a budget. So therefore now Moshe Rabbeinu is going to give a full accounting of exactly how much he collected and what he did with the money. And from here we learn you know, on the importance of transparency when it comes to collecting tzedakah, you know, you have to be held accountable. So here the pasuk is saying, as she says, zu, this parasha, nimnu kol so all the donations over here were counted, whether it's for the silver, whether it's for the gold, whether it's for the copper, nimnu kol kelab, all the vessels that were made, the kol avodatov. Good. Now the pasuk says, ele pekudeha mishkan, mishkan ha'edut. Now, it says the word mishkan twice. There's no extra words in the Torah. The pasuk could have said, ele pekudeha mishkan. Why did it say, pekudeha mishkan, mishkan? Why does it repeat? We only built one Mishkan in the Midbar. So why would it say the same word twice? So that she says, Amazing. The word Mishkan, if you just change the vowels a little, can also be read Mashkon. Now what is a Mashkon? A Mashkon is a collateral. Okay, that's a $10 word. You know what a collateral is? A collateral is if, let's say, uh, I borrow money and uh, the fellow who's lending me the money says, listen, I need something to protect. Uh, maybe you're not going to pay me. So I need something uh, that you're going to give me as a collateral. So I give him my watch. And therefore, if I don't pay him, he takes the watch. That's called mashkon. Um so therefore, when Bnei Israel built the Beit HaMikdash in the times of King Solomon, that was the first Beit HaMikdash. And then we built the second Beit HaMikdash. Now we know both of them got destroyed. But the Torah is telling us here that they served as collaterals against the Jewish people. Instead of God taking payment from the Jewish people, that means he would have destroyed us, he took the building back. So therefore... Uh, the pasuk says, mishkan, mishkan. The double language mishkan tells us that the temples served as a mashkon, as a collateral against our debt. The old God. Now God could have came against us. Baruch Hashem, he didn't. It says in the Gemara that he took his anger out on sticks and stones. Baruch Hashem, God can rebuild. 
you could replace sticks and stones and bricks. You can't replace people. So therefore, it was a big chesed that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did by at least uh, taking his wrath out on the, on the temple. But again, the amazing thing is that when this perasha is written, it's before the Beit HaMikdash is even built. So here you see the, the, the beauty of the truth of the Torah. The Torah knows everything that's going to happen. It knew there's going to be two Beit HaMikdash. It knew it's going to be destroyed. Therefore, uh-huh. we get a window. We get a, a window into the future. When you're reading the Torah, you're not reading yesterday's newspaper, you're reading tomorrow's newspaper. And therefore, the idea is not a newspaper. The point is, you're reading tomorrow's news. So, Now, it's called the Mishkan, the tabernacle of testimony. Now, what is the Mishkan giving testimony? So that she says, Edut the Israel is a testimony. That God forgave us for the golden calf. At the end of the day, when they built the Mishkan, the Shekhinah, the divine presence, rested in our midst. Now, that can only be an indication that God forgave us for the golden calf. So it's a testimony. Again, what is the Mishkan testifying? That we are back in good standing with the Kadosh Baruch Hu, that he forgave us the Chet HaEgel. Now the Pasuk says, Asher Pukad Alpi Moshe. Again, the accounting that we're discussing here tonight was done by Moshe. Avodat Alviyim. And also the the service of the Leviyim. That as she says, what does the service of the Leviyim have to do with this over here? So he says over here, so it's a continuation, which means all these things that we're going to mention now, the vessels and the gold and the silver, who's in charge of it? The Levim. Shevet Levi were the administrators of the Mishkan. And what was their job? Lasit. They carried them. They carried this uh, Mishkan, which means when we're traveling in the Midbar, the Mishkan traveled with us. Now, who carried it? That was the job to be, exactly. Their job was to carry. And they had to put it together. Yes. We landed in a certain location. That's it. And the, the tribe of Libya has to put this Mishkan up, back up uh, to make it functional. And when we're traveling, they have to take it apart. We're going to learn in Parashat Hashem When we get to it, it's going to give us each uh, family what they were in charge of. Certain families were in charge of carrying the Aron. Other families, they were in charge of carrying the actual boards of the Mishkan, etc. And therefore, we're going to get a full listing of the families of the Levim. So they're going to have to stay tuned with that. And the Pasuk says, Biyad Itamar. Now, what is Itamar? Itamar, we know, was the son of Aaron. Now, why is Itamar being mentioned in this Pasuk over here? So it says, because he was the manager over the Levim. So therefore, the Levim had a, a, a manager. So th- th- that is referring to Itamar, the son of Aaron. So wow, what a packed pasuk. So I'm going to go back to you again and read this pasuk. Now imagine we didn't have Rashi. This pasuk would be uh, very, very, very empty. And Rashi comes along and opens it up. So I'm reading again. It's a Kohen. 
Hamishkan. Again, this is the accounting that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to give of where all the money went. Mishkan, Mishkan, that's referring to the two Batim Mikdash that were taken as collaterals against our debt. Ha'edut, it is the Mishkan of testimony, testifying that God forgave us the Ha'edut, because the Shekinah rests inside the Mishkan. Asher Pukad al-Moshe, Moshe is giving this accounting of the Mishkan that is called Abodat al it is the Mishkan that is served by the Leviim. They're the ones that carried it and put it together. Biyad Itamar, and Itamar is the Kohen who is the manager over the Leviim. Okay, that's one Pasuk. And now we get the Pasuk bet. Ubtsal'el, then Uri, Ben Hud. So you had this fellow called Betsal'el, son of Uri, son of Hud, Lemate Yehuda, Asam. He made now, it says, Asher Siva, if you look at the Pasuk, it says, and Bitzalel executed and built, call Asher Siva Hashem et Moshe, whatever God commanded Moshe. So, what does it mean, God commanded Moshe? Actually, if you, if you remember, we learned, Moshe actually sent it over to Bitzalel directly. So why does it say that Bitzalel executed exactly according to the way God told Moshe? It should say the way Moshe told him. So he says over here, beautiful explanation, that which means even certain things that Moshe Rabbeinu told Bitzalel to do, Bitzalel questioned. And it turned out that Bitzalel was right for questioning, and he really figured out what the real intention was. He gives an example, Dashi. Ki Moshe siva le Bitzalel, Moshe commanded to Bitzalel, la'asot tehila kelim, ve'arkach mishkan. If you remember, Moshe told Bitzalel to make the vessels first, and then the Mishkan, meaning make the Aaron and the Shulchan, the Menorah, and then build the structure. Amarlo B'Tzalel, B'Tzalel said, Min haga olam, la'asot techila, buy it. Normally you build the house first, then you put the vessels inside. So he says, Amarlo, kach shamat mipi ha-kadosh baruchu. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to him, God told me to put, make the furniture first. Amarlo Moshe, I'm sorry, so Moshe Rabbeinu told Bitzalel, you're right. That's exactly what God told me. That means Bitzalel was able to uh, figure out not only what Moshe told him, but what God told Moshe. Because what Moshe told him, he told him one way. He said, maybe you heard differently, Moshe. Maybe God told you that you have to build the structure first. You're in the image of God. That's exactly how God told me, to make the structure first and then the vessels. Now, of course, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu did hear correctly from God initially to build the vessels first and then the Mishkan. However, after the Egel, it changed. And therefore, God said to build the structure, then the vessels, and there's a, obviously a deeper reason for that. So Moshe Rabbeinu was giving him the original plans and Bitzel said, but maybe it changed. He said, yeah, yeah, it changed. You're right. After the Egil, Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to bring the Jewish people back to the original version. But Bitzel said that 
They're not on that level. They have to build it this different way, which is building the Mishkan first and then the vessels. Let's just finish up for tonight. The Ito Aholiab Ben Achisamach, again, Mitzrayel's partner, was Aholiab Ben Achisamach to the tribe of Dan. Halash Mechoshev, he was a uh, carpenter and a uh, calculator. Virokim Batechet, he was involved in the weaving and the needlepoint of the Techet Argaman and all the different um, and all the different uh, 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 fabrics that were needed for the uh, for the okay. Mishkan. So now, tomorrow night session, we're going to read about uh, the accounting, and there's going to be some missing funds. Did you believe it? Wow. There's going to be some missing funds over here, and we're going to have to find out exactly where those funds went. Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't take it, but we're going to have to figure out where they ended up. So again, that's the shiru uh, for tomorrow night. Anyway, these classes are finished. Learning Parashat and we're learning the refuah shlema hayasara bat simcha elma refanala. Not too many that she is. And for Rabbi Wallace. Yeah. So yeah. we have over here, we have over here uh, where we're going to begin in Perek Lamed Chet, chapter 38, Pasuk 24. The Pasuk begins, Kola Zahav Ha'asui Lamelacha. All the gold that was collected for the work. For the holy uh, work. But he's the Habatinufa, so the gold equal Tesha Be'esrim Kikar. Okay, 29 uh, Kikar. Kikar is like uh, loaves, but it's a, it's a measurement, 25 bricks, we'll say, of, uh, of gold. Ushva Me'ot Ushloshim Shekel and 730 Shekel, the Shekel Akodesh. Now that's the gold. And how much silver? So like we learned last week, they collected 100 kikar of silver. Uh, and then she goes and gives us the, uh, the different calculations. Uh, a kikar equals 3,000 shekalim. So let's go slow. Oh, so very good. It makes sense. So if, if, if a kikar equals 3,000 shekalim, so then 100 kikar equals 300,000 shekalim. Very good. So why 300,000 shekalim? Because 600,000 men gave half a shekel. So if 600,000 men give the half shekel, it equals 300,000 shekalim. Again, 600,000, each one gives a half, so therefore it's 300,000 full shekel, and that equals 100 kikar. So that she just gives us some, uh, some accounting. And therefore, uh, it says that it was 100 kikar. And now the Torah comes along and says, plus an additional 1,775 Shekel. Now, where did that extra 1,775 shekalim come? 1,700 actually, and 50, no, yeah, 75. So, where did that extra shekel 
shekel come from. So we're going to have to figure out that uh, that calculation. Uh, and the Yerashim will tell us in a moment. Now, like we said, each head paid a half a shekel. That's called Beka. That's the name of the uh, half a shekel. Mahasita shekel. Who paid the half a shekel? It had to be 20 and up. So it was for 600,000. Uh, so it really wasn't, it wasn't 600,000. It was 600,000 plus 3,550. So the exact number of the people that paid half shekel was 600. And 3,550. Okay, so that's the magic number. 603550. And I guess if you divide that in half, so you're going to get to the exact number of uh, 300,000 shekalim, which is 100 kikar plus the 1,700 and uh, let me say 1,775. Okay, so that's the that's the total. And then she says, Kachayu Yisrael, that's what the amount of Yisrael, that's what it cost after they built the Mishkan, like it says in Sefer HaMidbar, Uminyan Chatzayah Shekalim, just just want Elif, Olim Me'at Kikar. Right, half of 600,000 equals 100 Kikar. Kol Echad Shel Shloshet Alafim Shekalim. Each Kikar is 3,000 Shekalim. Ketzah, just want Elif, Chatzayin, Adem Shloshet Mot Elif, Shlanim, Adem, Me'at Kikar. Now, by Shloshet Alafim, Bahamishwat Bahamishim, Hatsaim. Now, take who has a calculator? Take 3,550 uh, and divide it in half. What do you get? 3,550 in half. Anybody know? Well, as she tells us, it equals 1,775. So that's exactly the amount of shekalim that they collected, uh, based on six hundred and three thousand uh, five hundred and fifty people paying half a shekel. So we got all the numbers squared off. Vahi meat kikara kesef ratzeket hakodesh. Now, what did they do with this? Um, with these coins, with the silver, they melted them obviously, and they had to build what's called Adanim. Adanim are these sockets, back to the Mishkan. The sockets that they placed underneath the Kirashim. The Kirashim were like poles. I don't know, I'm in Florida, so I don't have my picture book with me over here. But basically, it's a pole, and it has it has like prongs on the bottom, so it, it can't stand. So you need to put a base on the bottom, like it has two holes, you stick it in silver, and it it's the base of the Mishkan. Those are called the Adanim. And there was... Um, 48 kirashim, 48 poles, 20, 20, and 8. And altogether there was Sadivab uh, Adanim. Uh, there was 96 Adanim altogether. So I guess that's uh, two Adanim per Kedish. Uh, so each Kedish had two holes. So therefore each Kedish got an Aden. So if it's 48, then each one has two. So 48 times two. Well, you have to be an accountant to learn this parasha. Wow. So 48, 48 times two. So the Torah comes and says there was 96 Adanim. Okay, 96 Adanim. 
This is what Hashem wants us to fill our brains up with this information. So we're following whatever He wants us to know. This is good information to know. Architects, but, mathematics, everything. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> okay. So anyway, now there was another four Adanim that were for the parochet, uh, for the uh, curtains. So altogether, it was a hundred Adanim. Okay, fine. So there was a hundred of these sockets that were used to serve as the base of the Mishkan. And that's what the Pasuk says, Me'at Adanim. One hundred Adanim, Lim'at Kikar. So again, the hundred Kikar, here it is. The hundred Kikar of silver from the Shekalim was melted down and they made silver sockets. Very nice. But we're still missing one thousand 775. What did they do with that? So the Pasukim So it says when it comes to the leftover, the 1,775. So they made what's called Vavim La'amudim. Uh, that's the, uh, uh, yes. the, the the poles of the of the Mishkan. They plated them, and that was done with that uh, that extra shekels. And that's the Now, how much copper did they collect? Shivrim kikar, seventy kikar of of copper. But this is, by the way, Perashat Pikude. The word Pikude means accounting. So that's what she's giving you. Detail how honest the, the, the collection was. Now, they didn't only collect it, but after they collected it, they were transparent to the people. They said, We collected this much and this much. Not that anybody was questioning Moshe, but you have to be straightforward with the people. Very so precise. Took, exactly. So the Hoshit was 70 kikat, the Alpine Barbame or Chekin, and 2,400 Chekin. But yeah, Asba, what did they use the. Um, oh, okay, I killed it. What did they use the. Uh, the copper for. That's the copper uh, and the different crowns that they put on top of it and uh, all the different vessels that were made out of copper. Sinks, you remember sinks. Sink also was made out of copper. But that, by the way, good point. We're going to learn that the sink, that was a separate uh, calculation because the ladies donated their mirrors. Right, that. Right, right. So that was the, that's not part of this calculation. Okay. This is just for the other vessels. The sink was really primarily a ladies a ladies project. And now we get to chapter thirty nine. is all the fabrics. Fabric was which is blue. Agaman is purple. Tolachani is like a a red. Remember, we learned that when they traveled with the Mishkan, they need to cover the pieces. So they made fabrics to cover the, like we said, when you have a moving truck, that'd be special, you know, yeah. cover. Cover cover. Yeah. Blankets, moving blankets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Blankets. The same thing they had in the Mishkan, you know, it was called Big Day, Senad. And that's besides the, the different. Um, uh, 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 fabrics that they made for the clothes of the Kohanim. But this person specifically is talking about the special clothes that we use to serve the holy vessels, serve them by 
covering them. And they also made the holy vestments. Vestments means garments for Aharon. Just like Hashem saved uh, told Moshe. Okay, now we're going back. Remember we learned with the ephod. Ephod was the apron. Exactly. Beautiful. The apron that, that the Kohen wore. was made out of all these different strings of gold strings and purple and, and, and the blue. And it was made out of six strings that they uh, spun together. Um, it says that they um, spun some gold. They spun gold, exactly. They made like very fine strings of gold. And uh, they also, uh, like I said, spun it into the uh, into the strings. I don't know if they do that today, but that would be a very, very expensive item if you can get a garment that actually has strings of gold. India. India has Especially real gold. At, uh, $2,000 an ounce. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I mean, see, I know they have gold color strings, but this was actually real gold. gold? Yeah. yeah, it was really gold. They have strings. silver today. They have silver on the palette, no? Some people. Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Sterling, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Exactly. So therefore, um, um, it was very, very, very uh, uh, ornate. Now, that's over there. Now, we need to go. Um, if you go to Pasuk, there's no more that she's on this. If you go to Pasuk um, 28, it says, Mitznefet is the hat of the Kohen, Shesh, made out of, uh, of uh, um, uh, wool. And it says, uh, and what is She says, is the, comes from the word tif'eret, which means the, the, the hat of the Kohen was a very um, glorious hat, and therefore brought glory to the Kohen. So therefore they call it the glorified hats that they wore. We mentioned that the Kohen also had to wear pants, so that's called the Mechnesebad, and they were made out of linen. Shesh uh, Mosa. It says uh, that the caps and bands were overlaid with silver. Superior Rashi'in. I think that's Rashi. Which what, 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 Rashi'in. What, what, Number 28. 28. Where do you see that they put silver in that? I don't, I'm looking at Rashi'in 28. It says here, Amudei Mahem, Ketiv, Vitsipui, Rashi'in. The caps and bands were overlaid with silver. Go slow, Mars, but before you mix me up, which pasuk you had? 28. What chapter? Oh, the one before. Okay, so I was talking about it. So you're confused. So why are you confusing me? I'm in chapter 39. No, but you but mentioned uh, the caps. I don't know, so why don't you go back to Parashat Bereshit? I'm up to Lamitet. Right. We're done with that already. Now, now, now I'm in the. I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm further. I'm in pasuk lamit perik lamit. I'm talking about the hats now of the kohen, and the Torah calls these hats parimik baot. Par is the glorified tefered hats, and the mechnasaim is the the pants that the kohen wore. Now the pasuk says ve'etabnet chesh mozat chibar gamat v'acheni ma'aseinu kempfine. I don't know if we talked about this. The seats is the headband that the Kohen wore across his head. Nezir HaKodesh, the half of pure gold. And they wrote on it, 
And what was the words that they wrote on the seats? Two words, Kodesh Lahashim. Now the Shi over here tells us that there was like uh, strings around the seats. How did it stay on his fight? It had to have like strings on the sides and they would uh, tie it in the back. Actually, he wore a hat. Let's see if we can figure this out. He wore a hat. And the seats, they wrapped around the hat. She needed to tie it. So he didn't tie it around his head. They actually tied the seats, which is the headband, around the hat, as she says. Um, now, the seats does not go on the hat. It has to go on his spine. It has to touch his, touch his head. So the seats is here, but when they wrap it, they wrap it on the, on the hat. Um, again, it has to... Actually, the seats would be where the men put the tefillin. So it's right over here, like on the, on the head, on his hair. And actually, it says you could see some hair between the hat and the seats. So let's say the seats was here, and there was a little gap where you see some hair, and then the hat is next to it. That's the way that she says. Um, the Gemara actually says, what, what was that hair doing in between? And that was for the tefillin, because the queen has to wear tefillin. So therefore, he had the hat, and then there's a tefillin, and then under the tefillin, you have the seats. Was on the forehead. So again, the hat was on top, the seats was on the bottom, and you got a pair of tefillin uh, in between. Very good. So now it says over here, uh, there was a blue string that the um, seats had, uh, they tied it to the hat. Well, the seats actually went from ear to ear. Now, how are you tying it? Ear to ear, but it's going to fall. So that's how they did it. They tied it with these strings that were ultimately tied to the uh, to the hat. Okay? That's good. Petit Techeled. Okay, let's just read that she over here. Now the Pasuk says, um, we're looking at Pasuk after the seats. Batechel, unbelievable. Batechel kol abodat meshkan oel moed. Abotai, the Pasuk finally says, they finished all the work of the meshkan. And Bnei Israel did exactly what Hashem told Moshe, Ken Asu. Which means they followed exactly the Melacha, exactly according to the instructions that Moshe Rabbeinu commanded. At this point, Wow. They brought the Mishkan to Moshe. Now, how in the world could they bring the Mishkan to Moshe? The thing was 4,000 million pounds. So that she says, they brought the, the, the pieces of the Mishkan to Moshe. Why did, they, why did they just build it? Why did they have to bring all the stuff to Moshe for Moshe to build it? They should have built it themselves. So that she says, they weren't able to do it for some reason. They couldn't lift it. They couldn't, they couldn't build it. Who was the one that ultimately built the Mishkan? Moshe. Moshe didn't do anything personal in the Mishkan. All the Mishkan was done by the people, but he did the main job. He erected it. So they came to Moshe with all the pieces, 
And Moshe Rabbeinu then lifted everything up and put everything together. Adam was too heavy. The Kedashim, those poles were very, very heavy. But no human being was able to carry them. But Moshe Rabbeinu was able to. And Moshe Rabbeinu was, he was 80, 80 years old. It doesn't matter. He was, he was very strong. What the young men couldn't lift, Moshe Rabbeinu was able to lift. Moshe Rabbeinu said, how was a human being able to lift this over here? Go, go make an effort. Just lift them. Amazing. Moshe Rabbeinu started to lift it, and it lifted by itself. God helps those that help themselves. God says, you make an effort. So Moshe Rabbeinu started to lift something that was very heavy, and all of a sudden, it started to, it started to come up by itself. Like it says, Hukam HaMishkam. Who comes sounds like it was it was uh, established by itself, and although it looked like that Moshe was doing it, but it was really not. The last Rabbi, how, says, yes, please. Rabbi, how come we don't hear an accounting of the uh, copper for the mirrors that were given? Oh, so the, we one, of the girls, one of the girls mentioned that we're going to see that that was a separate accounting because that was a separate donation. They donated their mirrors. That wasn't really part of the mandatory or the donations that they made for the Mishkan. The ladies stepped forward separately and therefore it's not, it's not included in the poundage of the, of, of the rest of the Mishkan. It is, it, is, it is written in Torah how much they actually gave, right? Yes, 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 yes. We're going to get to the Kiyod. It'll be in Pasuk um, uh, Perek Mem, Pasuk Lamed. It'll talk about the, uh, it'll talk about the Kiyod. So now the Pasuk just finishes up in Pasuk Mem Gimal, it's a great, great way to end the night. After the whole thing was done, Moshe Rabbeinu's servant was done to the specs and to the dimensions and to the right way. And Moshe Rabbeinu blessed the people. What, what blessing did he say to them? The most beautiful blessing. That please God, let the, let the presence of God rest in your handiwork. So now that you built all this, we only built it so the Shekhinah will rest. So let it come true, that the Shekhinah will rest in your handiwork. And he said the following, which we say every time we do a mitzvah, let the pleasantness and the beauty of God be upon us, and our handiwork that we, uh, that we built this mishkan, konena alenu, should be established on us. Uh, means the, the pleasantness of the Shekhinah should rest upon us, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu should establish and help us build now our, our efforts, help us build this Mishkan over here, which is referring to the uh, Mishkan and the Shekhinah that ultimately is going to, to rest in it. And that is a, um, a, a general blessing that we always say that whenever we do a mitzvah, we preface it with that blessing. Whatever we're doing with, with our hands, I'll say we're doing a mitzvah, the ladies are lighting candles, or the men are shaking a lulav, or putting on tefillin. We always say, in this action, let our handiwork be blessed with the pleasantness of the Shekhinah, that it should rest in our actions, and God should help us succeed to fulfill uh, the mitzvah. It's very, very important to say, for every mitzvah, 
which means give us the ability to uh, bring the presence of your Shekhinah down through this mitzvah, because that's how God rests upon us. God only rests upon us through the performance of mitzvot and learning Torah. So we're saying, let it happen. When you say it, it, it activates it, and let the let us be able to fulfill the mitzvah, because if God doesn't help us, we cannot even fulfill the mitzvah. And uh, let that mitzvah, like we said, be the uh, be the conduit so that's a that's a beautiful way to end with Vibarish or Tam Moshe. Finally, we get to the blessing of Moshe. I want to remind all of you that this blessing should also be upon all B'nai Israel, especially those that come to hear this, uh, you know, not such a complicated class, but just simple stuff that we're learning. But nonetheless, it's uh, important to learn Pirush Dashi. And it should be in Fuashima for Hayasana, but Hashi definitely needs a Fuashima. And that's okay. why we really started doing these uh, classes over here. And our president, Eliyahu bin Nachem, has a big test tomorrow. And Bezat Hashem, uh, it'll come out, uh, it'll come out good. And Bezat Hashem, So again, okay. this is the, we just finished, uh, Moshe just finished making Moshe Betzalel, and Eliyahu just finished making the, all the items for the Mishkan. So now the Torah writes, And Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, On the first month, on the first day of the month, which is Rosh Chodesh Nisan, right? We can't start counting the months. Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the first month. On the first day of that month, You should erect the Mishkan on that day of the Olmoed. So basically, the it's brought down that they really finished building the old, it was ready to really get up during Hanukkah time. On Chav Kislev, which was like a couple of months before, Moshe already finished building and they already finished the process. They really could have erected the Mishkan then. But Hashem told them to wait. And they, he wants him to erect the Mishkan on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the month. And you should place in it the Aron Ha'edut, right? The holy, the, the ark. And you should put a parochet, which is like a screen or like a curtain to separate like a mechitza between the Aron and the other kelim. And you should bring the shulchan in, which is the table, and arrange the arrangements. Says Rashi, that's referring to the lechem apanim. You should put the lechem apanim on it. Et and bring in the menorah. And you should light the, the candles on the menorah. And you should place also in that in the in the in, in the in the Mishkan, you should place the Mizbeach Hazahab, which was the incense um, altar, the golden incense altar, the Fneh Aron in front of the Aron. It went, when we're going to see the way. I, I actually got a picture book this time. We're going to see the way it was set up. It was actually opposite the Aron. Sorry, Then you put another curtain to. Um, another curtain for the Mishkan. So I'm going to, I don't know really how to do this. How do you flip the screen? Um, so this is the way it's set up. I don't know if you could see it. 
So yeah. you had the Aron here, there was a curtain here. You had the menorah was over here, and the shukhan over here, and the mizbeach was opposite the Aron, the mizbeach hazahab. There was another curtain, and that's, then we had, we're going to see the, miz, miz, uh, the, the mizbeach of the, the sacrifices of the animals, and then we had the kiyot in the middle. So that's the way it was set up. Now, let's just read that inside. Um, Venatata et akiyod. Ben ol moed. Sorry, Venatata misbeh haola lefne petach petachamishkan ol moed. And then they would place the, the misbeh, which was, which, which gave all the sacrifices outside the, outside the, um, the, the, the curtains. And they placed the kiyod, which was the washing table. They placed it in between the curtain to enter into the mishkan, the inner part of the mishkan, and the mizbech of, of the olah, which was outside. And they would put water in it. And they should make a chatzed saviv. They made a courtyard, right? As we see over here, they made a courtyard that went around the Mishkan. Um, and they would put curtains around the, the, the courtyard. And then they would take, and you should take, says Hashem, the, the Shemina Mishka, which was the anointing oil that Moshe made previously, and you should anoint, pour oil on the Mishkan and everything in it. The Kiddashadan should be holy, and all the Kelim are going to be holy. So that was a way of making the stuff holy. And then you would um, um, anoint the Mizbeach HaOlah, which was a sacrificial um, altar that was outside. Vet kol kelav, and all its altars, because shat the Mizbeach, v'yav ha-Mizbeach kol tzkoshim, the Mizbeach was holy, u-mashachta et ha-kiyod, and then they, they, they anointed the kiyod, the washing table, vet kano on its pedestal, v'kidashtauto, and it became holy. V'hekravta et aharon, vet panav, then they took Aharon, they, they brought close Aharon, and, uh, or you should bring close Aharon and his, and his sons, right to the Mishkan, and you should wash them with water. Then they would dress Aharon in the holy begadim that, that were made, again, in the previous parashiot, and you should anoint him, so Hashem telling Moshe, then you should anoint the Aharon, and then he'll be as a Kohen to me. Ve'et banav takriv, and then bring his sons close. Ve'hil bashta otam kotonot, and then dress them in their holy clothes. Umashachta otam, and then anoint them. Kasher mashachta et avihem, just like you anointed their father. Meaning, I don't know, Kohen. And they're going to be Kohanim to me. And they should be, they're going to be for me eternal Kohanim forever. Right? As we know, Kohanim get passed from generation to generation. Ken Asa. 
And Moshe did exactly what Hashem told him. Okay, the next, next, next Aliyah, Shishi, and it was on the first uh, month, on the second year, right? The second year when they left Egypt, on the first day of the month. So it was the second, right? right? They just left Egypt a year ago. Um, so it was the second Nisan on the first day of the month who come a Mishkan. They erected the Mishkan. Right? Moshe erected the Mishkan. He put the sockets and the beans and he put the, the, the insert bars and he, and, he, and he placed up the pillars and he placed the oil on the Mishkan. What was the oil? That was all the skins that they made to cover the Mishkan. And he, he put the covering over, over the oil. And he took, he took, it says, what's the edut? The actual luchot. So he placed the luchot in the Aaron, Vayasem et Abadim, and he put the poles, Ala Aaron, on the Aaron, Vaytenata Kaporet, and he put the cover, Ala Aaron, on the Aaron, Malafam on top. So he covered, he placed the Luchor in, and then he covered it. Vayave et Aaron, and he brought the Aaron, El Hamiz Mishkan to the Mishkan. What? I hear a lady talking. I don't hear no rabbi. Lost. I'm going to come back. Leave and come back. Yeah, she'll come back. What happened? I think something happened with the rabbi's connection, Marka. He 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 got disconnected. Maybe he'll come back, God willing. Okay. <laughs> because I heard the Rahmanthul's voice. No, maybe somebody else in the background. No, probably. Yeah. We're back, he's not back. Yeah, yeah the that. rabbi's back, Miles. Sorry okay, about that. Back. Okay. Sorry Thank about you. that. So again, yeah. he placed the um outside the curtains over here. He has, if you could see, he um so that that's where he placed the shulchan on the northern side. So this was west. This is east. This is north where the shulchan is. This is south where the menorah is, and the mizbeah. Look it up a little. Look it up. 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 Look it so they would put again. Sorry, let's go back a pasuk. So they put the shulchan in the tent of in the Omoed, but outside the curtains on the northern side. 
Vayarok alav erech lechem lefnei Hashem, kashesiva Hashem et Moshe, and they arranged, the arrangements mean they put the lechem apanim, right, they, which was six on, there was six loaves, two of them, two of them to make up 12 loaves. 12 loaves. Vayasem et ha and then he placed the menorah, ve'olmoen nochach al-shukhan, which was opposite the shukhan, al yerech ha-mishkan negba, which was the southern side, vayal ha-nerot lefnei Adonai, kashet siva Adonai et Moshe. And they lit the, 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 yeah. the lights, the, 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 the lamps of the menorah, just like Hashem commanded Moshe, vayasem et ha-mizbeach ha-zahav ve'olmoed, lefnei Hashem ha-parot, and they would put the right opposite the parochet, and they would burn the incense, the ketoret, Hashem et Moshe. Okay, so we'll stop here. Bezat Hashem, this should be a refuah shalema for Chaya Sarah Bat Simcha. Bezat Hashem. And we're going to start from uh, Pasuk. Lamedalid. And Lamedalid, it says, So this is talking about where they actually uh, constructed the Mishkan. I want you to know the dates. It's important to know when this all happened. The Mishkan, they started to collect the money after Yom Kippur. You see, Moshe Rabbeinu came down uh, on Yom Kippur and gave the second set of tablets. When he came to give the second set of tablets, that next day, meaning on the 11th day of Tishri, he told the people, okay, Rabotai, we need to collect money to start building the Mishkan. And the people, overwhelming, donated all that they had. Um, the rabbis tell us that they needed to do this to fix the sin of the Egil. Because the Egel, they were very motivated to donate for that wrong structure. So they felt an obligation when it came to the Mishkan, especially the men, because the ladies, as we know, did not donate anything to the, to the Egel. They were you know, very um, very loyal to Kadosh Baruch Hu. But the men gave their you know, jewelry and their gold. So when it came to the Mishkan, the men were very um, motivated to give their gold and, and silver to fix the sin that they donated to the Mishkan. I want to point out, if you know that, our perasha begins with the word Ele, Ele Pekudeh. Now, the rabbis tell us there's a reason why the perasha begins with the word Ele. Because if you remember by the sin of the golden calf, the men said, Ele Elohecha Yisrael. This is your new God. So the men felt an obligation to fix and rectify the word Ele by now saying this is the money that we donated to the Mishkan. So it's like a, it's like a, uh, um, a rectification. They said Ele for the wrong thing. Now they said Ele Pekudah Mishkan. This is the donations that they made to the Mishkan. So let's, let's review. So they started to collect the money and they collected the money in record time and they started to build it. The Mishkan was actually finished on the 25th day of Kislev. So they started in Tishrei, so Tishrei Cheshvan Kislev. So about three months took them to build the Mishkan. Now, three months to build the Mishkan of such intricate labor is a, a testimony to the 
to the uh, to the motiv- motivation of Bnei Israel that they built this thing in three months. I mean, we're building a shul that's taking us 10 years. And they built this mishkan in, in three months. It shows you how dedicated they were. Now, the 25th of Kislev is when they finished the mishkan. And they were ready to build it. That's it. All the pieces were done. All the furnishing was done. Everything was finished. Now they wanted to erect it. God said, it's not the time. Put it in storage. I'll tell you when we're going to have opening day. And they didn't open the Mishkan for the inauguration until Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The month of Nisan, the first day of Nisan. So they kept it in storage from Kislev, Tevet, Shvat, Adar. So three months, it was just in storage. Now, there's a famous rabbinical statement that says that the month of Kislev came to God. I mean, whatever that means, how how does a month come to God? But the angel, I guess, that's in charge of the month month of Kislev came to God and said, it's not fair. The Mishkan was finished on the 25th of Kislev. And now I got robbed of a holiday because in my month was supposed to be the inauguration and you pushed it to Nisan. So God told the month of Kislev, don't worry. In the future, I'm going to pay you back and you're going to have a holiday. Now, we know the 25th of Kislev is which holiday? Hanukkah. There you go, Morris. Hanukkah. And that's the payback for what happened or what should have happened at the Mishkan. So let, 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 let's explain it properly. The story of Hanukkah is also inauguration, but not of the Mishkan, but of the second temple. The second temple was defiled by the Greeks. They came in and they, they made everything unholy. So on the 25th of Kislev, the Hashmonaim came into the second temple and they found that jug of oil, and they lit the menorah, and they re-inaugurated the second temple. So God's, look how Borei Olam is so fair. He told the month of Kislev, although I robbed you from a Mishkan celebration, but I'll pay you back with a Beit HaMikdash celebration. That's the reason why uh, Hanukkah is on the 25th of Kislev. Like a perfect midah, connected midah. Exactly. It's a perfect it's a measure for measure. You see, Bore Olam keeps, keeps uh, score. He keeps to make sure that everything is going to be reconciled. Now that's a, uh, if you think about it, I'm going to have to do the math in my head. The Mishkan was built in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. How many years is it from Moshe to the second temple? It's got to be more than 800 years later. From Moshe to when they went into Israel was like 300 years till they built the first temple. The first temple lasted for 400 years. Right? Exactly. 410 years. And then this is 200 years into the second temple. So it's actually about 400 plus... it's about a thousand years later. Look how look how Hashem keeps track. I owe something to Kislev. It'll get paid back. God never um, 
What is that? Yeah, God never forgets the calculations. It's a good lesson in life that Bore Olam always will return the favor. Okay, right. Exactly. And, and it's not always the next day. So that's why some people come along and say it's not fair. But if you, if, if you look at the whole picture of, of, of time, you see that God always will, uh, you know, pay the, pay the debt back. I'll give you an example to this. Reimburse. I'll give you an example to this. When the Jewish people came out of Mitzrayim, so it says that the sea split and the Jewish people went through the splitting of the sea. And then when the Egyptians went in, the sea came back to being a, a sea and drowned them. But the Jewish people didn't know that the Egyptians were drowned. They thought that just like they walked through the sea, they thought the Egyptians also walked through. So God made a miracle and all the dead Egyptians came out of the ocean. God spit them out of the ocean. Wow. So they started like popcorn. They started to pop out of the ocean, piles and piles of dead Egyptians. That's what we say every day in the prayers. The Jews saw the Egyptians dead at the banks of the sea. What do you mean they saw them dead? They were buried at the bottom of the sea. The sea spit them out. So what happened? The fish came to God and said, God, you gave us all this food and then you took it away from us. So God said, don't worry. One day I'll pay you back. Hundreds of years later, again, I'm not sure exactly how many years, but hundreds of years later, it has to be in the times of Sisera, which is in the times of the prophets, there was a prophet and uh, uh, there, was a, there, was a, there was a king called Sisera and he was chasing the Jewish people. And what ended up happening is all the army of Sisera drowned in the ocean. And God told the fish, I'm paying you back. And he didn't only pay them back for what happened in the times of Egypt. He actually paid them back with, with, with interest. So the fish got what they deserved. My, my point is to say that God always is keeping calculation. What happens in one generation is going to be rectified in another generation. So that, that's what happens over here. The, the, the holiday that we have called Hanukkah is actually a payback to the month of Kislev for losing out on the inauguration ceremony of the Mishkan. Now, you can ask me a question. Well, why didn't God inaugurate the Mishkan in, in Kislev? Why did he delay it? So he said that in the month of Nisan, Yitzhak Avinu was born and God wanted to inaugurate the Mishkan in the same month that Yitzhak Avinu was born. Yitzhak was born on the Shodesh Nisan. Now, why, why do we have to wait for Yitzhak? Because if you remember, what was Yitzhak's greatest accomplishment? Okay, he was, oh, exactly. He was the first human sacrifice. So what better day to inaugurate the Mishkan where we're going to bring sacrifices to God on the day that Yitzhak, which is the greatest Sadiq that was the human sacrifice, which is the ultimate the ultimate level. But again, God had his calculations, but God does not 
uh, deprive Kislev for what it what was coming to it. And what was coming to Kislev was the uh, the inauguration. And that's why we call that the holiday Hanukkah. What does Hanukkah mean? Hanukkah means inauguration. Mm. An inauguration, Hanukkah, but not Hanukkah HaMishkan, but Hanukkah HaMizbeah, the Hanukkah of the uh, Menorah. So amazing. now, it's an amazing, uh, amazing concept. So again, if you live forever, you don't have any questions on God. The only reason why some people have questions on God because we don't live forever. So we just see half the story. We only see the beginning of an event and we say, it's not fair. Why is God doing this? But God says, if you, um, if you live forever like God lives forever, you'll see exactly how everything is going to be rectified. I must, I must uh, tell you a, a story. Uh, it's a personal story. And um, I want to tell you the event when I came to this, when I came to this, uh, this concept. Uh, many years ago, when uh, my wife's cousin, which means it's my cousin as well, uh, when my cousin uh, Jesse uh, had passed away, and um, it was a terrible tragedy, as we all know, and I went to the uh, funeral, obviously, and I also went to the cemetery. He was a young boy, and it was a uh, a very, very big tragedy. And uh, my uncle and my aunt, I should give them long life, they were there and they had to bury their child. Now, that's a, that, that's a, that's, that's a, a, a tragedy. You don't, you don't wish that on your enemies, let alone on people that you love. And they had to bury their, their son. And they themselves participated in the, in the burial, which was very hard to see, obviously. And after it was all done, they told my uncle that he has to say Kaddish. And he said the Kaddish. And what is the Kaddish basically saying? That may the name of God be sanctified. I said to myself, this is a father that just buried a, a, a child. And where do you get the courage or the strength to come along and praise God and bless God, it's tremendous emunah. Uh, uh, you're at the graveside, and you're saying, Hashem is great. I have no questions. And in the Kaddish itself, it says that um, in the Kaddish, it says that God is Yeheshem uh, Barach those words, God is eternal. So what I understood on that moment when I was there is that the person that goes through a tragedy is saying, although I don't understand it, but God who is God who was there from the beginning to the end. God is, is eternal. Where God sits, everything makes, makes sense. We don't understand things because we only come into this world for a few moments. And if we only see a small part of the movie, but we didn't see the beginning of the movie and we don't see the end of the movie. So therefore we have questions, but 
where God is, who is eternal, he says, what happened here today to God makes perfect sense based on past and based on future. And the parent comes along and says, we accept this because although on earth we don't have a understanding, because humans only have a small a clip of the events of this world, but where God is, he sees everything. So it's la'alam, that's the main part of the Kaddish. We, 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 we make a conviction and say to the eternal God, he knows what he's doing. There was a great rabbi called the Hafez Hayim, and he said that you have to look at life uh, like the following parable that he gave. There was one time a, uh, a fellow, he was a guest, he came to a shul. And, you know, if anybody ever went to shul, you see on Shabbat, they invite people to the Sefer Torah. You take Kohen, your Levi, Israel, etc. They invite different people to go up to the Sefer Torah. So this guest was first time in the shul. He turned to the rabbi and he said, why do you invite him and not the other guy? He doesn't understand why these seven people are the lucky beneficiaries to get a Aliyah and nobody else. So the rabbi said, listen, it's your first time here. Last week, we invited the other guy because he had a reason to go up. The week before, we invited the other guy. If you would pray with us the whole year, you would figure out the logic why everybody's getting the Aliyah when they get it. If you stay with us for a full year, you'll see it makes sense. But you can't come one week to shul and then say, hey, it's not fair. He didn't get an aliyah. He got an aliyah. Similarly, the Hafez Chaim said, we come into this world for, a, you know, 70 years, 80 years, God willing, 120 years. But the world is 6,000 years. So how could we question and say, well, it's not fair. Why did God do this? God says, I've been here from the beginning. And I'm here to the end. I know exactly what I'm doing. So therefore... It's a very, very important uh, principle to accept that it's impossible for humans to understand God's business because we only are here for a small... Uh, one rabbi told me once, it's like, and I don't want to trivialize it, but uh, if somebody comes to a movie and he walks into the movie a half hour late, so he doesn't understand the movie, because he missed the plot. He missed the beginning half hour. So the whole time he's sitting there, what a dumb movie. doesn't make any sense. But he, and then he leaves a half hour before the movie ends. All the more so he's not going to understand it. But somebody that stayed to the beginning of the movie, to the end of the movie, or the beginning of the book, to the end of the book, says, you know what? It's masterful. So that's the same thing with God. God, who is eternal, everything makes sense. Problem is, from our vantage point, we don't have the, you know, we don't have that eternal element to see the whole, the whole picture. We're only able to see a, a snippet of it, and how can we make a judgment on only a, reading thirty pages of a six thousand page book? So similarly, when the Mishkan was supposed to be inaugurated on Hanukkah, so many people came along and said, "It's not fair." The 25th of Kislev, the Mishkan was finished. God says, listen, I'll answer you this question in a thousand years from now. 
And in a thousand years, sure enough, the Mishkan was ultimate, or the Beit HaMikdash was re-inaugurated. And it turns out that when God pays back the month of Kislev, look how we paid it back. We're still celebrating the holiday of Hanukkah every year. When God pays back, he doesn't pay back one for one. He pays back with interest. And therefore, that 25th of Kislev that was supposed to have one inauguration ceremony ends up having thousands of years of Jews uh, celebrating the holiday of Hanukkah. It's a, it's a tremendous lesson. It comes back down to the principle of emunah. You have to trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. He's created this world, and he hasn't made a mistake in the 5,700-plus years. And I will tell you that uh, we're very close to the end. That's for sure. Especially when we're watching what's going on in the world today. The Midrash says, whenever you see nations fighting with each other, get ready for Mashiach. And now we're starting to see nations that are starting to fight with each other. The Russians are not Sadiqim. The Ukrainians are not Sadiqim. Don't listen to what the Americans are telling you. The Ukrainians were the worst, the Sha'im. They killed the, the Jewish people when the Nazis came into Germany, to, to, to Ukraine. They killed Jews like nobody's business. And now all of a sudden, Puriolam is starting to settle the score. You know what I heard, Rabbi? What is that? You know what I heard? I heard that the Nazis told them, you're killing the Jews too fast. You see so that? They were work. Listen, we don't wish anything bad on any people. But whenever you see nations fighting with each other, especially on this level, already Boreolam is settling old calculations. Cool. And guess what? It, this has nothing to do with the Jews. This has nothing to do with us. We're just sitting on the side, spectating. And that's what it says in the holy books. At the end of time, the war is not going to be with the Jews. The nations are going to fight with each other, and the Jews are going to be spectators. It's, our, it's only our prayer that it should be with mercy and not with uh, with judgment, and God should have mercy on his uh, on his people, and ultimately it's going to lead to a, a redemption. So that's, that's a great lesson Amen. that we could learn Amen. That tonight. Amen. Anyway, Rabbi. God bless you. We'll, we'll, we'll stop it here. These classes are for the I saw her tonight actually at an event. So Baruch Hashem, it's amazing that she could even she was out tonight. That's a good good news. Wow, thank God. Wow. She to have the Amen. We're learning uh with Rashi. And uh, we learned these classes for the Fuashima. So now we're at the end of Pikul Day. We just have a few more Rashis to go. And um, we'll make the Siyum. So we're going to start from the Pasuk. Pasukah. It's uh, chapter 40, Pasuk uh, 20. So Moshe took the, the tablets and he put it in the Aaron, in the ark. And he put the badim, the two poles that were in the rings of the Aaron. 
ויתן את הכפורת על הארון, אני פתתי קוברים, which is called the כפורת, on top of the ארון מלמעלה. ויבא את הארון אל המשכן, he then carried the ארון into the actual tabernacle, ויישם את פרוכת המסך, and he placed a curtain, because the ארון was in a separate uh, area called the Holy of Holies, and it was separated by a, by a curtain. The curtain was called a פרוכת. ויסך על ארון העדות, and it served as a partition, כאשר סיבה השם את משה, like God commanded משה. Fine. Now, the, the tablets are called עדות. Um, עדות means testimony. Now, what are the tablets testifying on? So that she says, they testify... on the fact that God gave the Jewish people for the golden candle. Because that's why we got a second set of Luchot. The first set was broken. So the second set is a testimony. A testimony of that the relationship was, uh, was fixed. Now, the Pasuk says, Vayiten et ha-shulchan. Moshe then took the table. Ve'oel mo'ed al yerech ha-mishkan safona. And it was placed on the northern side. The menorah is on the south side, and the menorah, I'm sorry, the menorah is on the south side, and the table is on the north side. Yerech means side. So Yerech, Safona, northern side. And that's why, for example, if you go to Shul on Hanukkah, you'll notice in Shul, they'll always light the menorah on the southern wall. Because we're following what they did in the Beit HaMikdash. Menorah is always on the southern wall. Now, the Pasuk says, uh, and he placed on the table, the bread, the showbread that we talked about a lot, and he did it exactly like uh, it was commanded. Then the Pasuk says, he took the candelabra, facing the shulchan. which means the shulchan was on the northern side, the menorah is facing it, right? Parallel, we say, al-yerech. Yerech, I told you, means a side. Ha-mishkan negba. Negev. Negev is the south. So shulchan is uh, negba. I'm sorry. Shulchan is um, uh, safona. And the menorah is negba. So the menorah is in the south and the shulchan is in the north. And they lit the menorah for the first time, like Hashem sought, commanded Moshe. They then took the gold mezbeah. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I hope you get it right. The gold mezbeah. What was brought on the gold mezbeah? Ketoret. Oh, Baruch Hashem. I was going to quit. Yes? <laughs> We got the answer. The Mizbacha Zahab was also called the Mizbacha Ketoret. It was a small Mizbeah exclusively used for Ketoret. And the Pasuk says, Vayakter Alab Ketoret Samim. They brought the Ketoret Samim. As we learned, it was brought twice a day, in the morning and in the afternoon, like we learned uh, in the previous Parashiyot. And therefore, Uh, the Pasuk is coming to tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu followed 
exactly the instructions. Moshe then placed the curtain at the, in the, at the entrance of the Mishkan. And then he took the second altar, which was called the altar of the Ola, or the copper Mizbeah. And that Mizbeah was really the functional Mizbeah for the daily sacrifices, the Korban Ola, that was brought in the morning and the afternoon. And the she's, look at this, this is a very important part now. Moshe brought on that Mizbeach, the Ola. Now, the question is, right, the Korban Ola. Which means, on the day that they inaugurated the Mishkan, Moshe was the Kohen on that day. After the first day of the Mishkan's uh, inauguration, after that day going forward, Moshe Rebbe had to resign. And he had to give over the Kehuna to his brother. But here, on the first day, Moshe himself was serving. And as she points that out, um, the day of the inauguration, Moshe served to bring the uh, korbanot. Because Moshe um, couldn't enter? No. After that, Moshe was able to enter, but he could not serve. The korbanot could only be brought by Aaron, nor can he wear the clothes. Only Aaron the Kohen can wear the special clothes. So Moshe Rabbeinu, his status was only on the construction of the Mishkan, and actually the first week, which was the, we'll get to that when we get to the parashiot called Parashat Shemini, the first week, right, the first week was more like a, a, a you know, a, we call it the Zayin Yemen Milu'im, or the eight days of Milu'im. Milu'im means like, it was like practice. So during the eight days of the practice, Moshe Rabbeinu served. Uh, after the eight days, that's it. This, the service was given over to Aharon. Rabbi, where is the first luchot, the broken luchot? Oh, that is a phenomenal question. So we're going to learn later on that they actually placed the broken tablets in the ark as well. Right. And we learn a great lesson from this. And I guess it's uh, appropriate. I said this uh, at the funeral of my grandfather, Allah B'Shalom, Joe Safdi, Allah B'Shalom was a Sadiq. And in his life, he was a tremendous Tamid uh, Chacham, and he learned a lot. He's a businessman, but any free time that he had, he always spent learning. But at the end of his life, he got some type of, um, I guess you want to call it old age, and he forgot. He was starting to forget a lot. And he had a hard time recalling you know, all the Torah that he had. So when he left the world, his mind was unfortunately like a blank piece of paper. Yeah. So which is very, very sad because he had a lot of Torah in his head. Mm-hmm. So the Gemara comments on this, that you must respect a scholar who loses his wisdom in old age. You still have to respect them. And the proof is that they put the broken tablets in the Aron as well. Now the broken tablets, if you remember before Moshe Rebbeinu broke them, what happened to the words? They left the tablets. They went wow. back up. So the tablets were blank. But that wow. teaches that even somebody that had Torah and then went blank, you still have to respect them. Oh, they didn't, wow. they didn't put beautiful. the broken, it's beautiful. They didn't put the broken tablets, you know, in the Giniza somewhere. Yeah. They put front and center and they gave the kavod to the broken Luchot. So that night I said about my grandfather that he's, although he, he, he was the broken Luchot at the end of his life, but nonetheless his place belongs in the Aron. 
And anyway, after a person passes, God restores the memory and brings out all back to Hedushin. Mm-hmm. But that's a, a lesson that even a person who's old and starts to lose it, you still have to respect them. They have the status of the broken tablets uh, that still mm-hmm. find a prominent place in the Aro. So that's, yeah. that's the answer. Thank that you, you got it. My so now we continue that they brought the Kurban Ola that day, and they also had to bring the Minha. Minha means they put the wine on the Mizbeach as well, and they had to bring the flower offering. Now they put the sink. That's the lady's sink. They donated it from their mirrors. We talked about it earlier this week. And they placed the copper sink, and they added the water in order they could wash. Uh, and Moshe and Aaron would wash from the sink and the children of Aaron as well. What is that? Oh, pictures. Uh, we're done with the pictures. So now it's the eighth day of the Meduim, and therefore that's why Moshe had to wash his hands as well. Because on the eighth day of this process, Moshe was still serving. That's why the Pasuk says that Moshe, Aharon, and the children of Aharon washed their hands. Because again, Moshe was still had the status of a Kohen. And they washed their feet as well. To go into the bed to make that, you have to wash your hands and feet. Okay? So that's even more than COVID. So now the Pasuk says, Vayakim Mishkan. They placed the uh, poles and the whole structure of the Mishkan, they, they lifted it up. Uh, and finally, the Pasuk says, the work was done. And now, mm-hmm. once the work was done, this is one of the most emotional Pesukim, after we read all these four and a half parashiyot, the job was done, and the presence of God came down and rested in the Mishkan. That was the objective. After the sin of the Egil, the presence of God left us. And we went through this whole laborious procedure and exercise in order to bring the presence of God back down. But we didn't know if it was going to work. This Pasuk is telling us, mission accomplished. After the Mishkan was constructed with all the good intentions of the people and their donations, all of a sudden, at that moment, the Shekhinah started to come down. What are you showing us there? Mark. I was just a Kohen washing the feet of the hands of the feet. Okay, we know what feet look like. Who doesn't know what the feet golden look like? Golden picture, yeah. yeah You're showing us what a foot is? Okay, thanks. I mentioned good. the golden picture. We didn't mention the golden picture. He washed we his hand. Yeah. There was a picture of a hand. Do you have a picture of a hand over there also? Yeah, watch. Here's a picture of a hand. Here's my hand. It is a hand. Just so our members can see what a hand looks like. Okay, the scale of a okay. They know what feet look like. <clears throat> so, now, so now the Pasuk says... Uh, that the glory of God filled the Mishkan. Moshe at that point could not enter. He was not able to enter the Mishkan. Why? Because the presence of God was filling the Mishkan. Now, make up your mind. But we know that from other Pesukim, that Moshe actually did enter the Mishkan. So how could you tell me that he didn't enter when we know that many times he did enter? So that she comes along and he says, a big 
which means when the presence of God was resting on the Mishkan, that's no entry. It's too strong of a presence for anybody to enter even Moshe. However, when the cloud of God dissipated from the, the Mishkan, then he was able to enter, because then the presence was limited to the Aron. It spoke between the cherubs. Then he was able to enter. So therefore, when the presence was there, even Moshe cannot enter. When the cloud lifted, he was able to. So that's, and then God would speak to him. But when he went to Har, excuse me, when Har Sinai to receive the Luchot, wasn't the presence of Hashem there? You're asking asking a fair question. At that point, if you remember, Moshe Rabbeinu did not eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights. He elevated himself to the status of an angel. Uh When he was in heaven, he was not a human. He was an angel because a human cannot go 40 days and 40 nights without eating. So therefore, he was on a different level. Yes, on heaven, if you live on the levels of an angel, you're able to enter even to higher levels. But on earth, Moshe has to be, you know, as a, a, a human, as much as he is holy, but he was still a human. And therefore, when the presence was in the Mishkan, in that level of Anan, he has to stay clear. However, when it dissipated, he was able to enter. Finally, the Pasuk says, Now, the Pasuk says like this. How did the Jewish people know when to travel? That means in the Midbar, they were traveling. How did they know? So it says they followed the cloud. What does it mean? When the cloud was resting over the Mishkan, that's an indication that the Jews must rest in place. But when the cloud would start to move, that was an indication, follow the cloud. And therefore, that was like like their GPS. Pasuk 36. When the Anan rose from the Mishkan, Yisru B'nei Yisrael. B'nei Yisrael would start to travel. And all their travelings. But if the cloud would not rise, they would not travel. They would wait. And they really had no indication. Every day they woke up, they looked at the cloud. If it was in position, it's okay, God doesn't want us to move yet. The cloud of God rested on the Mishkan, Yomam. During the day, it was a cloud. And at night, it was a fire. So it would keep on switching from fire to cloud. During the day, it was a light. And during the night, it was an ish. And it was a spectacle in front of all the Jewish people. In all of their travels. Now, no, wait, well, don't cut me off yet. I have one more Ashi. Now it says here, <laughs> that the spot where God wants them to rest. And therefore, the Pasuk, although it says that the cloud was Bechol Mas'ahem, Mas'em literally means travelings, but you can use the word Mas'em to also mean encampments. That means the, the, the cloud was there in their encampments, and therefore they knew that at that point they have to uh, pause and pitch their tents. Now, some places they stayed only two days. Some places they stayed for over 20 years. It was a very, wow. random, very random way of living. You don't know if you're going to, you know, you just unpack all your luggage the next day you're on the run again. 
And again, sometimes you were there for, for many years at a time. Anyway, it gives us great, great uh, accomplishment that we were able to finish not only the Perashah Pekudeh, but we were able to finish the entire book of Shemot. We did every Perashah Baruch Hashem, and that gives us the right to say, Hazak. Hazak means... Hazak, 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 and just yeah, like God gave us the strength and the uh, ability to go through the first two books, Bereshit and Shemot, God should give us the strength and should give Hayas Sarah Bat Simha the strength. And all our members should also get the blessing of Hazak for participating in this wonderful, wonderful moment. Okay, Hazak. Thank you.